Uh, Romans chapter 12. Let's take a look. Romans chapter 12. Um, this week we might even get into the text. Who knows? Let me uh, just uh, read you the first verse, which is one that many of us memorized as children. I didn't do that, Jason. Okay, okay. Um, th- this is a, a text that um, if you were ever in a Bible memory course, you, you probably memorized Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves... Well, that's not how it says it here. But I appeal to you, therefore, brother, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's what we're going to be on for a little while. It's a, it's a very rich text, and we want to drain it dry. Let's see if we can start. Um, last week, guys, I introduced to you the subject of ethics. Now, if that term stumps you or makes you trip up, let me, I'm talking to you about conduct, behavior, Christian living. Um, and there's, there's, it's a very important subject. I, I, I said that last week, but it's a tricky subject because of some, um, some kind of unfortunate turns that it can take. And, and I hope you'll understand that more the further we get into the, the study. But, Guys, um, there, there's nothing that is quite so important to evangelism as is the life that is lived by a believer. Talk is cheap, but people are always ready and willing to listen to a changed life. That's what, that's what I mean when I say ethics is important. Uh, Christian behavior is, is of vital importance in the, in the promotion of the spread of the gospel. But it's um, it's important for at another deeper level because it, and I hope I hope to be able to explain that um, as we go, guys. We're going to look at one word tonight. It is not the first word in the English translation. It is not even the first word in the Greek translation. It is the second word. But a lot of your translations begin with this word. It begins with the word therefore. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. But some of your translations say, therefore, I beseech you. I mean, it's, um, it's the therefore that I, I want to concentrate on tonight because, very honestly, our whole understanding of sanctification is bound up in that word. <laughs> now, I want to explain myself, and I'm going to take a while to do it. Now, I have to tell you that last week, I was criticized. I got a little flat last week, and... Um, and uh, the, the criticism that I got was that, um, that I used too many big words. And, and so I started going back over what I had said last week. And um, the only words that I thought were even in, remotely big were the words imperative and indicative. Um, but um, we'll, we'll take a look at those words. We're going to look at those words again tonight because, guys... Um, I'm telling you, the Christian gospel is is bound up in this whole little verse here, and I and I want you to see the richness of that. <clears throat> but do you remember the story that I told you last week about Sandra Bullock saying to somebody, um, um, "You're the first Christian I've ever met that I liked because all other Christians are trying to tell me how to live." Well, we had another event like that. Uh, I happened in a cave last week. Um, you know, Brent Wilkins is quite a caver, and he went to the most famous cave in all the world and spent eight days in it, which is sick. Um, but while in that cave, had a conversation and um, about the gospel, about Christ, and um, 
And the woman said the very same thing to him. That is, I hate Christians because they're always trying to tell me what I'm supposed to be doing, how I'm supposed to be living. Now, guys, that is a, that is a distortion of the gospel. And if you, if I can succeed in explaining this well, maybe we can do something about a very unfortunate, ugly piece of distortion. Now, to do that, we're gonna, we're gonna get, I'm gonna do something up here that I have done before. But I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I want you to see this thing, and I hope I succeed. Okay, guys, um, this is, this is uh, kind of rudimentary, but, uh, you know, I, I was criticized because I was a little bit too uh, heady, so we'll, 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 do, we'll, we'll try to do better. Um, guys, I'm going to draw something up, up here. As I said, I've already drawn this before, and I'm, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take as much time on it, but um, I hope to explain the importance of the word therefore, because in the word therefore, the, our whole understanding of sanctification is packed in there. All right, stay with me. Guys, I became a Christian on September the 10th of 1970. Okay? Um, we uh, listened to the gospel preached by a woman out of Matthew chapter 7 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and both my wife and myself became Christians on the same night. They, uh, they, had, they said with every head bowed and every eye closed, anybody liked in my, both my wife and I uh, stuck up our hands. That was a day that um, I became a Christian. In theological terms, it is called justification. Um, okay? I, I, I'm never going to be more justified any time than I was that day. Um, let's say that I, I die um, on April the 6th of 2021. Uh, we're just guessing here, but <clears throat> that's the day that I'm going to go to heaven. Um, I'm going to be glorified on that day. Uh, you know, you've sung the song. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace I shall look on his face, that will be good. I'm going to be glorified on that day, okay? Now, everything in between this date and that date is what we're talking about. It's called sanctification. Okay, this is justification. This is glorification. And this is sanctification. Okay? Now, everything that we understand about that is bound up in that word, therefore. I'm going to show, or I'm going to try to show you. All right, guys, um, <clears throat> let me just add in a couple of details. Um, I am just as, let's say today is right here. This is um, August the uh, 19th of 09. I'm right here. Um, I'm no more justified today than I was on this day. Okay. Um, however, in terms of my sanctification, it has made some progress. Not much, but it's made some. Um, I'm aware, whereas back here in 1970, I was terribly imperfect. And up here uh, on April the 6th of 2021, I'll be perfected. Well, I am, I am moving away from this imperfect state to a, per- a perfected state. And that process of moving away from this to that is called sanctification. Okay? I mean, I think you know this. I, and in fact, I may be insulting some of you and I, um, by the simplest, but I, you've got to get this, guys. 
here's here's the here's a, a key little element. If this has happened to you, really, that is, if you have been born of the Spirit, okay. Uh, if you are justified, this thing, which is a process, will indeed begin to take place in you. Uh, this process will take place after this act has taken place. It's inevitable. It's it's uh, it's um, it's a must. <clears throat> I, I always like to add this. I cannot tell you the pace at which you must move from imperfection to perfection, but I, I can tell you, you must be moving. Because at this moment, when you became a Christian, whatever that was for you, God the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. And he's under this lifelong project to make you just like Jesus. All right? So that process began on the day that you became a Christian, and it continues all the way until we're glorified and perfected in heaven. That's not very new, I don't think. I hope that's not new to many of you. If it is, um, we'll go over it again. But uh, guys, I am saying to you that Romans chapter 12, verse 1, our whole understanding of this piece is wrapped up in Romans 12, 1, in the word, therefore. Let me try to explain that. To your satisfaction. Not mine, yours. That, I, mean, that's, I, I mean that. Guys, the Apostle Paul spends the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans telling you about this. He, he spends a great deal of time in the first three chapters defining sin, the problem, the need. And then beginning at chapter 4, he begins a very lengthy treatment of the doctrine of justification by faith. He um, That goes all the way through um, at least chapter 5, then he comes to chapter 6, he starts talking about a great... In chapter 6, he talks about our union with Christ. That is, we were buried in baptism and death, and etc. Chapter 7, he talks about... Um, that, uh, that, that assault on the gospel that says, all right, Paul, if you're right, then we can live any way we want to. He stops, he, he overturns that. Chapter 8, he talks about our security. Chapter 9, 10, and 11, he talks about Israel and, and God's relationship to Israel. He has spent 11 chapters giving us a full-orbed grasp and appreciation of and understanding of what happened to us in justification. Eleven chapters. Eleven chapters. He has explained and described the beauties, in essence, of the gospel. Okay? I mean, do you see that? Okay. Having <coughs> written in not great detail, but in some detail about the excellencies of the gospel known as, as the doctrine of justification by faith, he comes to chapter 12 and he says, Therefore, 
in light of this great thing that has taken place in your life, there is something that is now inevitable. And it is a life of a new ethic, a new conduct, a new behavior, and that is what chapter 12 is all about. He says, in light of justification, all these great mercies of God in union with Christ, in light of all that, therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable service of worship. He says, rooted and grounded and based in this beautiful thing that has happened to you, there is now a new life that is expected of you and is inevitable in you. This thing called sanctification inevitably grows out of the great work that he has performed in justification. He spent 11 chapters telling you about this. And now, ladies and gentlemen, he simply says, very logically, very simply, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What mercies? These. Based on these mercies. Out of these mercies grows a new, different, changed, modified life. This thing called sanctification is the inevitable result of His having wrought this in us, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the dangers in talking about Christian ethics is that Christian ethics gets isolated from this Listen, please. And and consequently, in the mind and eyes of a non-Christian world, all they hear about is these things that Christians do and don't do. And they come to the conclusion that Christianity is nothing more than an ethic. And they hate. And so we go around saying, you homosexuals need to clean up your life. And you just had an affair, and boy, are you going to burn in hell. Guys, it's, it's no wonder that we have a bad reputation. It's no wonder that they snarl when they think about us. Because we have missed this in this glorious thing that I said to you last week, that imperatives, the imperatives of a sanctified different life grow out of the indicatives of a new life. Guys, you, you, I mean, you know this. You know what an indicative sentence is? You know, you've got, you've got, um, interrogative sentences. You've got exclamatory sentences in the English language, and you've got indicative sentences. Do you know what an indicative sentence is? An indicative sentence in the English language is nothing more than a statement of fact. 
the indicatives of the gospel are as a result of the great work that God has wrought in you, you are a new creature. You are safe. You are in union with Christ. You've been bought with a price. He has committed Himself to you forever. Therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices in light of these glorious things that God has done in us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, go live that new life. But if the proclamation of the Christian message is go live that Christian life, I don't blame the world for hating that. Because that's to say that the indicatives grow out of the imperatives. That is, I become something because I live a certain way, because I obey commands. I I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go out with the girls that do. And because I don't do those things, I am this. No, ladies and gentlemen, that is completely backwards. And I'm telling you, in the evangelical South, we have a reputation of being nothing but imperatives. Nothing but do this and do this and don't do that and don't do that. And the world looks at that and says, I can't stand that. And the gospel of grace is this. God has wrought something in you. He has exchanged a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. He's made you new. His spirit has taken up residence in you. You are buried with Christ and resurrected with Christ. Those are all indicatives, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I am. It's a statement of fact. And so, in light of this new thing that I am, I live this way. Guys, let me me show you one of those. Get your Bibles and open them to Colossians chapter 3. This is, if you can see it here, then this whole indicative imperative thing becomes clear, I hope. <clears throat> All right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have, you, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now guys, you see verse 3? That's... That's an indicative. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. This has happened to you. Now watch. Verse 5. Put to death therefore... What is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Do you see it there, ladies and gentlemen? 
before he tells you to do anything about your rot gut living, of which we are all guilty, he tells you who you are in Christ first. He says, you are raised with Jesus Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that signal to you? That signals that I'm safe. My life is hidden with Christ in God. And so none of this business about obedience earns me anything. I already am that. That's an indicative. And out of the new thing that God has made me into by His stupendous grace, in light of that, says Paul in Romans 12, therefore, go live a different way. Put to death immorality and all this stuff. You know, it says... um, Um, sexual immorality, impurity, and passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But ladies and gentlemen, if you take verse 5 and you preach that as the Christian gospel, you have a distortion of the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel begins by telling you, if you're in Christ, this is who you are now. This is who you are. Now, obey. Do you see that? I obey out of who I am. I don't obey to become something that I want to be. Guys, it's it's like going into a courtroom and having the verdict delivered as you enter. My friend, if you are in Christ tonight, the verdict is already in. It's, it's already, you don't have to <clears throat> go before the judge and say, well, now, judge, <laughs> I sent my kids to Christian schools, you know. And judge, um, you know, I, I tithe. And judge, I've been teaching school for the last eight years. And I'm a faithful church attender. Now, could you give me your verdict based on all that? No, ladies and gentlemen. The verdict is in. In response to knowing what who I am now, set free, I go live a different way. But guys, those two things can never be divorced. For instance, this is really going to get me criticized. Do you know what antinomianism is? You know what that is? Antinomianism says, that's why, I mean, I told you this. I said, ethics is a tricky thing. It's a very important thing, but it's a very tricky thing. Uh, Antinomianism says, um, well, you know what anti means. That's against. That's uh, nomos. is from a Greek word, nomos, law. An antinomian is somebody who's against the law. The antinomian says, I am, I am, um, I am new in Christ. I believe in Jesus. Period. He eliminated the therefore. (laughs) Do you see that? 
There's a therefore, ladies and gentlemen. Because I'm new, therefore do this. But, but if you get those things mixed up, then what you end up with is the center bullocks of the world despising what we stand for. Or if you're an antinomian and you say, um, you know, I don't, I can do anything I want to do. I can, I believe in Jesus and I can kiss God goodbye. I had a man say that to me one time. I believe in, he, he didn't say, he said, if you believe in Jesus, you can kiss God goodbye. You're still fine. Ladies and gentlemen, that eliminates the therefore. Paul spends 11 chapters telling you the beauties of this thing. But then he spends five telling you, okay, in light of that, you know, we're supposed to be different people. <clears throat> so, so if you're um, if you're an antinomian, you're, you you eliminate the therefore. Um, let me let me tell you another one, which is the very frankly, I don't think we've got a whole lot of antinomians in our crowd. But let me let me tell you what what we are seeing, and it is. Oh, this is, this is so tricky. Uh, you know, and I may, I may just really. It is a distortion of grace. For instance, I am, I am passionately committed to a gospel of, a message of grace, a church of grace, a life of grace. But let me ask you this, and I, I think I've told you this before. Um, how would you like to conduct a Bible study with, with, I tell you what, I'm going to ask three or four of your husbands to meet with me on a Bible study at Hooters. Do you, do anybody, any ladies have any problems with us meeting for our Bible study at Hooters? Let me just tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If I'm at Hooters, I'm not be, I'm, I won't be looking much at the Bible. <laughs> I'll be, I'll, I'll have plenty to look at, but it won't be the Bible. Now, here's my point. In the name of grace, I'm going to go have my Bible study at Hooters. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Can I, as a Christian, have my Bible study at Hooters? Yes, I can. Should I have my Bible study at Hooters? <laughs> Guys, grace has gotten mushy. It's gotten spineless. Um, can, can I show you another text? Can you find this real quick? Titus chapter um, 2. Can you find that one? Titus 2. Um, yeah, there it is. Verse 11. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Grace has appeared. Yay! What does grace do? Verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Gang, do you know what grace does when it's properly understood? It trains you to live like this. It says, oh, in the light of glorious, free, saving grace, therefore, I'm going to go live like this. Little by little, ladies and gentlemen. Little by little. But there is an ethical demand 
made on all of us Christians. And when grace is emptied of its backbone, people begin to do anything like having Bible studies in Hooters. Bringing a keg of beer to the Bible study. I tell you what, September the 13th, when all of our grace groups get together, everybody just bring a keg. Does that bother anybody in here? Can I do that? Yes, I can. Because I am safe and sound and secure in Christ. But is that what grace teaches? Not according to that little Titus passage. It teaches me to train myself. Or it, 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 it exhorts me to train myself in holy living. Guys, I got two more and I got three minutes. Let me just quote this one for you because, I mean, you'll know this one. Jesus says in John 8, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. My brother and sister in Christ, if you do not understand this great beauty here, if you do not understand the great beauties of the gospel, if you do not understand that Jesus paid it all and you can just forget trying to contribute, if you do not know that how safe you are because of what Christ has done, if you do not know that Christ's work is finished, He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, He's not standing and wringing His hands hoping that you're going to make it. If you know the truths of the gospel, it will set you free. It'll set you free to go live a life that is honorable to this Christ of ours. One more, and I'm done. Go to 1 John. 1 John, chapter 3. It's in the back of the, right before 2 John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, Revelation. After 2 Peter. 1 John, chapter 3. All right, guys, just... Um, Yes. Um, yeah, here we go. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Do you see that, guys? That's an indicative statement. This is what you are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. My brother and sister in Christ, that's you. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. All indicatives. Here we go. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everybody who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. There's the therefore. Did you see it? If you have that hope, therefore you purify yourself. So you think you got the first 11 chapters of Romans down, do you? 
Those great doctrinal treatises of those mysteries of God. You think you got those down? You think your theological system is all sound and safe and, and pretty buttoned up and, and, and in good shape? You think you're, you're, you're theologically um, uh, astute and, uh, and, and uh, erudite? We'll see. And we'll see not by having a theological exam. We'll see if you understand this when it shows up in this. That's great. Our Father, I do pray that that is clear, and if I have muddled it up, would you please forgive me, and would you, would you straighten it out for your people so that they can see the great beauties of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all the grand provisions that are made for wicked people like me. And so, Father, um, might this simple little indicative imperative thing become precious to all of us, realizing that the only reason that we live any kind of changed life is because of the great work that you accomplished in us long before we ever did a thing. And so, Father, all of these expressions of holy living that, that I see in all these people in this room, they're just efforts to try and say how grateful and glad we are that you have made us your children. We commit ourselves to that and do so in Jesus' name. Amen.